Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And my name is Seth Nicholas Johnson. That's right. Joe is still out on parental leave. So this week on Weird House Cinema, Seth is serving as guest co-host. Seth, of course, produces the show uh, and, and also hosts the podcast Rusty Needles Record Club. So we've actually been cooking this episode up for a while, I guess. I think maybe just kind of offhand conversation many, many months back, you said, well, you know, if I were to pick a Weird House film, I'd go with Alice from 1988, uh, a film by Czech stop-motion animation master Jans Funkmeyer. And here we are. You know, I think the listener might have been in on that conversation. I think that might have happened in a listener mail episode in real time. So, so yeah, I, I think that the audience has been along with us for this entire ride. Here we are <laughs> at our destination. Yeah, this this is a film I had never watched before. I was familiar with it because I'm familiar with um, with Jan Svankmeyer's work uh, to a certain extent. I've seen some of his work before, and we'll get into that as as we go. But yeah, setting down and watching this for the first time, uh, this was an experience I had just hours ago. I mean, it's 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 a wonderful film. It's one I've I've grown up with. Um... And because of that, I love to introduce people to it because I, I do think that if people 
I mean, there are, there are obviously hundreds of adaptations of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because it's public domain, uh, but it's also got really great recognizability. And I think more than that, it's actually just a truly wonderful book. Like, like um, it's one of my favorite children's books, full stop, probably just one of my favorite books, period. Like, I think Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is probably the first book that I fell in love with as a child that never went away. You know, obviously, there's a lot of children's mm-hmm. books that kind of fall by the wayside. But that one was like, oh, no, this is like high quality literature that can stick with me throughout the ages. And, and it has. It's been a book that I've read dozens of times. So how how did this film come into your life? Uh, do, do you remember particularly like how you ended up watching it for the first time and how you latched onto it? I, I think and this this is a while ago, so I'm not entirely sure. I think as a youth there was a specific adaptation from the 1980s of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland that I really enjoyed that took yeah mm-hmm. and so I think I was trying to track that one down and instead I came across this 1980s adaptation of Alice in Wonderland started watching it and then just like nope I'm going to finish this <laughs> you know <laughs> this is the wrong adaptation but I'm I'm here for it uh for for my own part I uh, I think I I basically came into Jan's Funkmeyer a couple of ways via interest in like industrial music mm-hmm. and then also by virtue of moving to Atlanta where we have like the Center for Puppetry Art and pretty, uh, at least at the time, there was kind of a robust uh, independent puppetry art scene and also a great uh, video rental store in Videodrome that has a lot of the films, uh, a lot of the films of Jean Svankmeyer and also many of the individuals who are either his peers or people that influenced him. And um, and in terms of like downstream influences, like I feel like, especially in the West, like if you were a someone who did any kind of weird puppetry or weird stop motion, I feel like his work is probably or was probably on your radar. So even things like creepy tool videos, mm-hmm. which I think for a lot of people, like that's kind of your first um, uh, introduction to strange stop motion. Like even that, uh, I don't think would exist. Uh, without a world uh, in which we have Jan Svankmeyer. I, I think there's a couple really mainstream uh, influences that the, the average person has seen, too. For example, mm-hmm. both Wes Anderson stop-motion films, uh, The Fantastic Mr. Fox and um, Isle of Dogs, uh, both mm-hmm. of them have this very deliberate uh, look where the characters have fur and they clearly kind of rustle a bit from frame to frame. You can see the yeah. you can see the handmade aesthetic in them, and that I think is is clearly an influence and homage, and just kind of like an aesthetic choice that Jan Svankmeyer and you know his contemporaries were doing, and they were doing it just because it's it's what they were able to do. The 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 Wes Anderson films, I think they're doing it as like a no, we want this to look handmade. We want you to see the creator in every frame, just like the these older stop motion projects. So I, I think it's a wonderful look, and it, it does feel very handmade. You know, yeah, there's there's strong tactile um, details in this film, like and, and, it, and it gets into the soundscape as well that we'll we'll discuss here in a bit. Like every all these very very little objects that are manipulated, all the things and creatures that are moving around, 
Um, it, it, I guess this this might be to a certain some extent what Joe sometimes describes as a, as a rub the fur film. I thought the same that, thing. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, in that you you can imagine yourself holding these objects. There there are all these little often grimy or not really grimy details, but uh, I don't know. This whole film, uh, there were many times in the film where I like really wanted to grab a broom. <laughs> yeah. the, the neat freak in me was like, ah, I could get a broom in there and and do some work. And also perhaps warn this uh, young girl not to touch these things, you yes, know? Don't, don't stick your finger in that, Alice. No. Yeah. A lot of these things <laughs> seemed very dangerous, and I was worried for her, which, which I'm sure is intentional from the director. Now, uh, Alice, I think, is, is very much a fascinating film, one worth seeking out. But I think you do need to know what you're getting into here. Um, this isn't really a warning, but just, a, uh, just letting you know, this is a film with a very, with very subdued pacing. Uh, a single human actor who is also a child, strange, ruinous sets, bizarre stop-motion animation, and virtually no musical score. It's also far more watchable and enjoyable than anything I just said makes it sound. Uh, it's not nearly as creepy as, as, that, as, it make, as we may be making it sound, but it's also not uncreepy. I, I mean, I, I think this is for uh, children and adults who, who who like the the darker side of fantasy. You know, I mean, like for example, when I grew up, and I, I'm sure you were the same. I, I loved things like uh, Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal. So, mm-hmm. so therefore, this fit in that for me. Obviously, it's a bit more art house than either of those, but but it's still you know would would be a part of that world at least in, to my child eyes and, and partially to my adult eyes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some things in this film that some might say or interpret it as is horrific, but or or scary. But I don't know. I don't think there was anything overtly scary or, or mean about the film. I think for the most part, there is this sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. It may be a kind of a, a dark leaning wonder, but it is authentic wonder. And, and there's like a sense of humor to it too. Like I, I, I believe Jan Svankmeyer. He must have known some of these grotesque puppets that he created had kind of a goofy look to them, you know? Yes. And, and, and in fact, there's there's one shot, which perhaps I would say is the only quote-unquote scary shot of like almost like a jump scare from like a frog creature. But it's mm-hmm. he's got such a goofy face that you, you aren't really scared. It's just sort of like, ah, what is that? Yeah, the the, the creatures we encounter are generally silly enough looking that it kind of disarms the terror yeah. that might that you might expect to be there when saying things like and then the poorly taxidermied rotting animals come alive and start crawling all over the place it's true it's 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 a charming version of poorly animated taxidermied uh yeah yeah no it's 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 fun and goofy and charming and disturbing and dirty and a little frightening <laughs> Um, when I was trying to think of elevator pitches for the the film, I mean, for, for to a certain extent, it doesn't need one. It's kind of a legendary film, and and that's kind of the maybe one of the challenges in even talking about it because uh, like w- within and, and you can speak more to this than I can, but within the world of, of stop motion and stop motion animation, like this is a big film, like and this is a master we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. And and not not even to mention the subject matter. Like I think right. even if someone hasn't seen this film. I would bet the vast majority of our audience has probably read the book or at the very least is familiar with all of the beats that happen in this very unconventional story. Yeah. And it does stick to a lot of the, the major beats, so, which I do that. I think that helps mm-hmm. with what was for Svankmeyer, his first, uh, if, if I'm correct on this, his first full length film. 
uh, coming after uh, coming off of a, a string of shorter animated subjects. Uh, but knowing that those beats are in place, that kind of helps uh, propel you through what is essentially a, you know a feature length art film. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Like like even when I'm watching it, I'm uh, most familiar with the book than I am with any of the film adaptations. When when certain like points in the story hit, I'm like, oh, they're playing croquet. I know where we are. You know, like yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. we're starting to wrap this up. You know. <laughs> But if I were to do an elevator pitch, I'd say it's it's Alice in Wonderland, except in one of the houses from Silent Hill, but with the lights turned up a bit, so it's not that scary. Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a fair pitch. There are a lot. There's a lot of trying to unlock doors and not being able to. <laughs> there are a lot of like strange set pieces and props, and then of course bizarre creatures that you encounter. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and listen to the trailer audio. This is a legitimate trailer audio from the, uh, at least the English version of the film. And I think it's quite nice because it does, it certainly doesn't give you any of the, the rich visuals that are, of course, the main reason for watching the film. But it does, I think, perfectly capture many of the elements of the soundscape. I shall be too late, sighed the white rabbit. How late it's getting, sighed the white rabbit. Or the queen will be furious, muttered the white rabbit. An invitation for Alice from the queen, said the white rabbit. Off with their heads, <laughs> screamed the queen. Now we'll we'll come back to this, of course, but yeah, the, the, what you just heard the the narration by Alice, uh, the the those the kind of in, ambient industrial sound effects uh, that are happening in the background, like this is the this is the the, the soundscape of the film, and and it's um I I know folks who have never really encountered art cinema that when I've shown them this, they found that very cloying. But I, I think if if you just accept it, I think it's perfectly fine. I, I mean, in fact, I, I would say it's a good thing that really uh, enhances the overall aesthetics of the film. And I think it's perfectly chosen. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm not warning you. I'm just letting you know that uh, it's art. <laughs> this is art house, yeah. baby. Yeah. So you're, you're you're talking about the the Alice narration, the um, uh, how she's she's reading the things that the other people are sa- are saying, and then she, the creatures are saying, and then she's saying. Um, you know, the, the Mad Hatter said. Yeah, and, and that's always accompanied by a close-up of her mouth when she describes mm-hmm. all those kind of descriptive verb things like Alice thought, Alice said, the re- the, the Mad Hatter uh, yelled. You know, all, whenever one of those like, you know, dialogue descriptors is happening, one of those dialogue verbs, it's a close-up of Alice's mouth kind of kind of saying that but but in addition mm-hmm. to that it also the, the the just the sound design i've had friends tell me is very cloying just like the sounds of all the scuttling bones oh, and, really? <laughs> and scissors chomping away and yeah all that <laughs> well, well we'll we'll definitely discuss this as, as we we proceed mm-hmm. uh so at this point you might be wondering hey uh, where should i go if i want to see this film well you might be able to stream this via some of your arts or your streaming sources. There, there are so many places to stream films these days, I, I can't even begin to keep track of them all. But it looks like you might be able to find it on some of those. It might also be available to digitally rent or buy, at least in some markets, the UK, for example. I watched it on a restored Blu-ray edition that I rented from Videodrome here in Atlanta. They also have the DVD. 
and just a, a superb collection of stop motion offerings. So if you're local to the Atlanta area and are interested in films like this, well, they've, they've got your back. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the people involved here. Again, they're not, not, not really a lot in, in terms of cast, <laughs> but we do have to talk a little bit about Jan Svankmeyer, the director, writer, and production designer for this film. So he was born 1934. As of this recording, is still with us. Legendary Czech stop-motion animator and, and I think just general multimedia artist. Uh, I think one thing to keep in mind, especially with this film, uh, and I think this applies to many of his other films as well, it's like it's not just wall-to-wall stop-motion. There are whole sequences where it's Alice interacting with a strange environment, but there's, there's not something like crawling across the screen the whole time. I, I guess also we should really state that in this stop-motion film... Alice is often a human girl interacting with Mm -hmm. stop-motion taxidermy and bones, but uh, when she shrinks, as people know she often does in the uh, book, she uh, turns into quite often a uh, a little creepy doll version of herself. So sometimes Alice, the character, is a stop-motion doll, and sometimes Alice is a full-grown human being being filmed on a camera. And so, so it jumps back and forth. It's all over the place. And so sometimes it's like puppetry interacting mm-hmm. with, with the live-action Alice. Sometimes it's a split screen where you see live-action Alice on one side and stop-motion on the other. It's, it's, it's a whole combination of effects, and uh, it's, it's wonderful. You, you're never fooled by like, oh, that's not real Alice. You know, like, like it's, it's obvious when it switches over, but it's, it's always perfectly charming and believable. And like, um, as uh, the, the Disney animators would say, it's the plausible impossible. Like everything follows a through line. It, it all makes sense. <laughs> so Svenkmeyer has been active since the mid-1960s and, I've, and seems to still be active. Uh, over the course of his career, his unique surrealistic style has been highly influential, especially on such filmmakers as Terry Gilliam, also the American stop-motion duo, the brothers K or Key, or Quay. We, we actually just looked this up to try and get the definitive answer and uh, found it pronounced all three ways. <laughs> so um, my apologies uh, for inevitably getting it wrong twice, uh, two out of three times. <laughs> but at least you got it right once. <laughs> yeah, one of those has to be correct. Uh, I'm certainly more familiar with their work than uh, you know interviews with them, uh, but uh, they have a very distinctive style that's reminiscent of Svangmeyer. Uh uh, at, at any rate, uh, all, all of these individuals um, have also been highly influential as well, of course. So again, I, I, I think it's not that much of a stretch at all to say that most of the strangest real stop-motion animation you're finding in the world has at least some connection to Svankmeyer's work or, or that general period and world of stop-motion animation. Some of Svenkmeyer's most notable works uh, include Faust from 1994, Little Otek from 2000, and Surviving Life from 2010. His many short films include Jabberwocky from 71, Leonardo's Diary from 72, and, uh, and Castle of Otranto from 1977. So uh, I don't know about, about you, Seth, but for my own, for my own part, um, I think I, I went through a period, this was maybe 15 years ago, where I was, again, into strange puppetry, and I was getting into stop motion. I remember renting uh, numerous uh, discs from the likes of Svenkmeyer, also Jiri Barta, who is another big name in Czech stop motion, uh, the, brothers, the, the Brothers K that we just mentioned, 
Um, though my memory is a little little faint on on all of it. I sometimes get confused about which work was directed by which uh, individual or duo. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I watched some of Sven Meyer's shorts, and I believe I watched a 2000's Little Otec, but a lot of this kind of blends together. But I know that I had never watched Alice, though I've been seeing it on the, the rental shelf for years. Yeah, for, for me, um, it was all about stop motion growing up. Um, I still love stop motion. It's still one of my favorite mediums of just filmmaking in general. But, uh, you know, uh, as you know, I have a big background in um, uh, animation for film and television. And it's just such a beautiful, expensive, time-consuming <laughs> process. And I, I just I just adore that it exists. Uh, like, like, by every standard of, like, um, you know, financial and labor and all these other reasons, no one should do stop motion. But people yeah. want it to exist, so yeah. people make it exist, you know? And, and so I, I really respect that. And, uh, yeah, this just falls in, in that camp for me. I feel like I've seen multiple documentaries where at some point there's the, the visionary, there's the artist who says, I want to make a full-length stop-motion film, and someone is telling them, no, you really don't want to do this. You should not do this. Yeah. It's like you, you don't have the money. You don't have the time. You know, that the mm-hmm. audience doesn't exist for it. Like, for example, uh, my favorite stop-motion studio right now, not a surprise, is Leica. They're based out of Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon. Yeah. They make wonderful films. Um, I'd have to double check to make sure these numbers are correct, but at least last time I checked, every single Leica stop motion film has become less and less profitable, has made a smaller profit every single time. That's not a way that, that you can run a business, <laughs> but they keep doing it. And I, and I thank them for that because I love their films, you know, and it's, I, I love, I just love stop motion. I think it's a wonderful process and it, and its aesthetics really just appeal to me. Now, as as a as a child or a, a young uh, filmmaker yourself, did you did you do any stop motion? Did you, did you make any little experimental films? I did, I did. Um, I I literally remember the first one I ever did, which was uh, with some play doh, um, a camera, like literally just a camera, camera, and mm-hmm. um, I think it was like a Ninja Turtle toy, and it was about a guy getting hit in the head with a meteor, and so then I had to use it like a flip book. <laughs> And uh, oh, to, to, to have it all come together. This is when I was, gosh, maybe like seven or eight. And it, it didn't really work. You know, <laughs> the idea <laughs> of like having the camera like, you know, locked down. Did, did, I, I did, didn't understand that yet. And, you know, how many frames you really need to like, you know, uh, experience uh, the, 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 your eye to like see the motion itself. 12 frames per second, all that jazz. No, no, no. I didn't know any of that. Um, but then when I did get into college and, uh, you know, I, my, my, my animation studios at my university had like all the equipment, of course, I hopped right on it. Uh, one of my favorites I ever did, this is um, kind of cheating when it comes to uh, stop motion, but I made a, a short film you using a uh, light bright as stop motion, mm. which I loved. I, th- I thought that was, it turned out so beautifully. It was so much fun to do. And, um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I love stop motion. And uh, yeah, people rarely pay me for it because people can't afford it. But <laughs> I, in my own time and for my own like student films and stuff, I would use it all the time. The kids today have it, I guess, a lot easier to experiment with it because I know my, my own son has done some stop motion experimentation because they have apps that can help with it. Uh, and so I've, I've seen some of these that he's done where there's some sort of like Play-Doh or Lego creature crawling around and doing something, you know, it's not super long. Uh, but uh, I was really impressed when I saw it. And, and who knows, maybe 20 years from now, he'll be coming to me and saying, dad, I need, 
I need some help financing my feature length <laughs> stop motion animation film. Exactly. <laughs> we could only hope. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. 
Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Now, um, I also just want to make a point here. Again, we can't go. We, we could spend a, a whole, a whole lot of time talking about Jan Svenkmeyer, uh, and I don't want to. I also don't want to impl- uh, want to over uh, stress his importance. I don't want to state that like he is check stop motion animation, <laughs> because check puppetry and uh, and subsequently um, stop motion animation. You know, this goes back quite a while. And there there are other big names in check stop motion. Some are contemporaries um, of Svenkmeyer, but then you also have uh, some that kind of predate him, uh, such as Jiri uh, Trenka, who lived nineteen twelve through nineteen sixty nine. Who um, I'm not super familiar with his work either, but I know that he did a lot of like children's stop motion animation animated films for the Czech uh, market. All right, as we mentioned, this is, of course, based on the work of Lewis Carroll. Uh, Lewis Carroll, this was the pen name of Charles Lutwidge Dodgson, who lived 1832 through uh, 1898, best remembered for Alice in Wonderland from 1865, its sequel Through the Looking Glass from 1871, and such poems as Jabberwocky from 1871. Uh, his style is often described as literary nonsense, but uh, he was also an inventor of games, as well as both an academic and recreational mathematician. He suffered from migraines, which has often been discussed in connection with some of his more hallucinatory ideas. And we actually have a migraine aura that is called Alice in Wonderland Syndrome. Uh, the details of his personal life have been the subject of much speculation and analysis over the years, leading to various darker interpretations of his life and work. We see this reflected as well in such films as 1985's Dream Child, in which Dodgson is played by Ian Holm. All right, we're going to get into the cast of this film, but it's 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 not going to take <laughs> a lot of time. Alice, the physical performance, is played by a child actor named uh, Christina uh, Koatova. This is her only acting credit, uh, but I will say she's quite good in the film. Uh, the film really ultimately demands a lot of her. She's constantly crawling into and through things, interacting with um, sets and props that involve things like broken glass. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to assume everything was, was safe, but... Watching this, you do, and part of it is like the, you know, they're very believable fears. Like, oh, don't don't get too close to the the, the glass. Don't uh, be careful handling that. I don't know that that um, that jar of jam that also has thumbtacks in it. Things like that. But uh, so she often feels slightly in peril without it being like a real movie peril feeling. Uh, but anyway, she, she's quite good. I also really thought multiple times, like, wow, you've got a great, like, silent actor vibe going, you know, like, mm-hmm. just pulling perfect faces at perfect moments, um, just just, just very believable as this child, and also very, like, I guess, relatable, too. Like, like, like she, she doesn't feel like she's acting, despite the fact that the artifice is very clear 
in this film. Like it's it's right up mm-hmm. front from the first words, which we'll we'll get to later. Yeah, the way that Alice is is portrayed, the way that this performance works is that you don't have you don't have often in, in kids films where a kid is interacting with some sort of a puppet or other um you know artificial creature or even like some sort of a clown or a fantastic character. You know, there's sometimes kind of a laughable quality to it, like a like an oh shucks kind of cuteness to it. Mm-hmm. But Alice is is pretty serious through most of the film. A lot of time we have a lot of these shots of her staring directly through the camera's lens at some wondrous sight. And she has, has this very kind of serious look that's kind of this, this kid's face that has a lot of analysis and suspicion. The kind of face where, like, you're at the supermarket or something, <laughs> and a child is staring at you from, an, from a cart. Mm-hmm. You know, a child you don't know, and they're just looking at you. Like, they're, they're, they're trying to figure you out, but they are very <laughs> suspicious of you. That's well put, yeah. So that, too, I think adds to the, yeah, the vibe of the film. Now, uh, the, I think we, you watched the English uh, language version as well, didn't you? Or did you watch a dubbed version? Uh, the version I have is a DVD where the, uh, there are no other language options other than dubbed into English with an English actor. That's the only version okay. that I have. Okay, That's, that seems to be the case with the version I watched as well. Mm. The voice of Alice in this is the voice of Camilla Power, born 1976, She's uh, an Irish-born English actress who appeared in various British TV productions over the years, including Whitechapel, Waterloo Road, and Hornblower Duty. Uh, She also appears in the 2016 Black Mirror episode, Shut Up and Dance, which was a pretty dark one. That that, that one's really good. Uh, One of my favorites Mm -hmm. about Shut Up and Dance is that it's one of the few uh, Black Mirror episodes that have nothing um, supernatural and nothing science fiction about them. They they are, Mm -hmm. it's, it's all science fact. What happens in Shut Up and Dance could happen tomorrow, period. You know, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only thing really speculative about it is sort of the, um, I don't know the, the, how intricate uh, the situation is, right? but that alone doesn't make it unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Uh, the the other interesting thing about Camilla Power is that she played Jill Pole in the 1990 TV adaptation of C.S. Lewis's Narnia book, The Silver Chair, alongside Tom Baker, who played Puddleglum, and Warwick Davis, who played Glimfeather. Uh, I, I love these BBC adaptations from the late mm-hmm. 80s, early 90s. Did you watch these too? Yeah, I remember watching these like during the middle of a summer day mm-hmm. on a on a PBS channel that we were receiving via antenna. Right. So you already have that sort of that that you know that that British TV style that's very much in effect in these productions and then also it was partially scrambled via antenna. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're really great and um they've actually gotten a they for some reason in all the adaptations of the Narnia books, uh very few ever actually finish the series. Most people get one or two in, then they mm-hmm. realize that it's an uphill battle for those last few books, so they just stop. Yeah. This one got further than most. I think this one got at least four, maybe five books in. So, um because they combined some stories into one, which which helps with that. But uh yeah, it, it's it's a fun one. If anyone's ever looking for like a really corny 80s adaptation uh look up the bbc narnia uh i guess guess they called it a mini series back then they're long they have really like handmade special effects and the acting is very like community theater it's it's great yeah i remember the final battle in the narn in the 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 lion the witch in the wardrobe Mm -hmm. the, the first one it has like 
really kind of poorly integrated, uh, <laughs> like traditional animation yes. utilized in the battle for yeah. some of the creatures. It looks like um, our heroes are just kind of like swatting at flies. Yes. <laughs> and then, yeah, there's just these ghosts, which aren't really interacting at all, just kind of swirling on screen. It's... Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 great. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it with my my son after we watched the more recent Narnia film, which of course is a special effects laden, um, big budget affair. Mm. And uh, he still he definitely was like, well, this doesn't look quite as real, Dad. <laughs> but but he also I think he found it very amusing. Yeah. Now th- this is interesting. Um, the Dutch version of Alice features the voice of Karis Van Houten. Uh, born 1976 as well. Uh, this is not the version we watched, but it's notable trivia because Van Houten is a Dutch actor, probably best known in, in English film for her role as Melisandre in the Game of Thrones series. That's pretty amazing. So yeah, I, I wonder how old she was. I, I, I can't do the math in my mind and I refuse yeah. to. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that, that, that'd be interesting as well because she does have such like a um, kind of matching the the physical actor, kind of like that sternness as Melisandre. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that, that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, because Alice in this film, and I guess like Alice traditionally as well, like Alice is going to stand up to weird, fantastic creatures right. that are being ridiculous. <laughs> uh, you know, she's not going to take any crap off of these things. Mm-hmm. Now, normally at this point, we, we tend to highlight somebody involved in the music. Uh, but again... There's not really any music in this film, at least not for the vast majority of it. So there's no credited composer. But I did want to at least highlight the sound credits, which go to Robert Jansa and Ivo Spalge, born 1940. Spalge in particular has a ton of credits, mostly Czech films, but he also worked on 1984's Amadeus. Um, again, I think they were singling out because the sound and Foley work, I thought was was pretty incredible. There's mm-hmm. a, a great deal of rooting around in this film. Alice is constantly <laughs> exploring drawers, cramped spaces, and strange, potentially dangerous eye, uh, objects. Uh, reanimated and decaying taxidermied animals are constantly doing the same thing. And so for the, you know, the whole film, in lieu of music, we kind of have this ambient industrial soundscape of noises that, all, that remind me a lot of the Foley work in Planet of the Vampires. There's something kind of almost hypnotic about it. There's almost kind of an ASMR effect, at mm-hmm. least uh, that's the way I felt listening to these various sound effects. Yeah, it's like what's happening in on the screen not only are you hearing the sound, but the sound is like almost within you. It's like right around you. It's 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 much louder than it should be in a yes. realistic adaptation of what's happening on screen. But uh, but no no, it, it works perfectly because it is. Not only is it so important to a story with very little dialogue and no music, but it's so important because these extra. I'll call them heightened noises match the heightened mm-hmm. visuals perfectly. Like um yeah. Like, like when these scissors clank, it is a rusty, dirty, <laughs> loud pair of scissors on screen and in your ear. It, it they, they match. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps bring the the visuals to life. And I was also thinking about how it's interesting that we have a film with again creatures and things and sights and sets that that one might be uh, tempted to interpret it as creepy or even scary, but the sounds in the film, the, the soundscape doesn't push you in either direction. Like you could imagine a version of this film where you have 
like ridiculous, cute, disarming music to sort of say, hey, this white rabbit's not creepy. Listen, because listen to the music. Or the other side of that, of course, is really like, you know, turn the wheel in the direction of the dark and have something, some creepy sound effects that make everything seem creepier than they are. Instead, no, the, the visuals are kind of, uh, you know, left um, uh, unaugmented by music. And you're, you're, I guess you're more inclined to sort of take them at face value and also see them more th- purely through the lens of how Alice interacts with them. And, and I think it matches the subject matter and especially this adaptation of the subject matter very well. Because, I mean, ultimately the story of Alice in Wonderland is an internal story. It's one individual girl, a lot of internal dialogue, a lot, a lot of running monologue with her. And it's what she thinks, what she feels. It's all very internal. And in this adaptation, it's all also taking place more or less in a single household. Therefore, it is. It does feel like an abandoned child thinking to mm-hmm. herself. And if that's if that's the case, you don't have score. It is a child thinking up everything by herself. That it feels more accurately lonely. To have no score and these heightened, you know, very imaginative sound effects. Uh, we mentioned already that in these these bits of narration where Alice says something like "the Mad Hatter said" or "Alice thought to herself," we see her her lips, her mouth moving. And I don't know how much of this is a product of like remastered film, uh, I, I, but I but I think this was intentional. Surely, the the lips are a little bit chapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teeth are, of course, they're children's teeth, so they're a little bit crooked. They're they're a little bit stained. Yeah, and I feel like that kind of matches up with this this idea that you just mentioned of like um, almost a wild child, mm-hmm. a child that is that has maybe not had as much parental. Uh, supervision and attention and therefore is retreating more into the imagined world that this is just purely anecdotal connections in my mind but um Mm -hmm. there's this episode of breaking bad where uh jesse is like trying to be a tough guy so he's gonna like go get his money that he's owed by so and so blah 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 and when he gets there there's this heartbreaking you know little child who lives Mm -hmm. in in squalor and is just this 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 little boy is just by himself making do with you know no resources in a filthy like hovel of a home that's what it reminds me of with alice <laughs> there yeah. it is in many ways it does feel like an abandoned child just making do with what she has mm-hmm. yeah and that, that that's not to belittle this this poor fictional child in breaking bad my my heart goes out for that poor fictional child all right well let's let's get into the plot of 1988's alice so to begin with um this story begins just like the book does. And and I guess I'll say in advance that basically the, the adaptation is very close to the source material. There there are big chunks that have been excised and are just removed without even mentioning that they've been removed. But for the most part, if it happened in the book, its adaptation on screen is pretty similar. Obviously, uh, the circumstances in which it's like, you know, uh, adapted are very different. You know, that there is no real world other than what happens in this one kind of rundown house. But 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 it's it's pretty accurate for one to one. So the as the book begins, so do we. We begin with Alice uh, and her sister sitting along a river bank. Uh, the sister is reading a book and Alice has a bunch of rocks in her lap and she's throwing them into the river one by one. 
I liked the detail, and this made even more sense later when I was reminded of some of the, the plot elements, but uh, the sister's face uh, or head is never seen. We see her from the—she's she, just from the neck down, mm-hmm. uh, which which I thought was nice because there's the sense that, like there's no attention there for Alice. This is not someone who's regarding Alice really as a, as, as a, as a, as a human being or, 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 or anything. But then also, of course, we have the, the whole off with their head thing later, which perhaps reflects this as well. So, so keep this scene in mind, listeners. We'll, we'll, we'll be back to it in just a moment. But mm-hmm. uh, so my first thoughts are that this is a very age-appropriate Alice, which I appreciate. Uh, quite often, Alice is depicted as quite a bit older, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, we all have childlike wonder in our lives. But I think the big point with the Alice story is that uh, she is literally a child making do with a child's logic. And, you know, I mean, like I've seen adaptations where like, you know, an adult Kate Beckinsale is playing Alice, which is fun mm-hmm. and all. But it, it just it's, it's not quite the same. You know, when it's a legitimate child child, I, I just think the story works better. And uh, I also like that this this child isn't like cutesy precocious. It, she's kind of bratty and kind of just like selfish in like a fun, realistic yeah. way. Like she, she feels like a real child. So uh, in this, you know, selfish, bratty kind of, you know, point of view, our, our, our hero, Alice, is, uh, just reaches over and starts playing with her uh, uh, sister's book, just kind of like flipping the pages like a flip book, and mm-hmm. her sister reaches over and slaps her hand. <laughs> Immediately, we get our first close-up of Alice's mouth as she says, Alice thought to herself, and then we cut to Alice as the title screen. Uh, now, uh, if we go back to the Alice mouth, and now here, here's what she says, which is just a wonderful way to start a film. Alice thought to herself, now you will see a film. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this just breaks the fourth wall immediately, letting us all know that we're all on the same page here. <laughs> and uh, then these more title cards just kind of interrupt Alice's speech as, as she's talking. And then she says, made for children, perhaps. but i nearly forgot you must close your eyes otherwise you won't see anything great way to set up this story keeping it kind of Mm -hmm. nonsensical um making sure that we know that everyone's on board with being fantasy that uh you you get it it turned out great (laughs) oh yeah And as we mentioned, this internal dialogue verb description, it will continue for the entire film. So anytime someone says or thinks or does anything, it's it's coupled with Alice's close-up mouth saying, Alice thought, Alice said, etc., And it, uh, I, I liked how it gave it a, a formal, almost ritualistic air, you know, like, um, uh, you know, like it's some sort of a religious uh, rite that's taking place here. I guess it, you know, it also reminded me of refrains from works like, you know, quote the raven nevermore, that sort of thing. And, and it's a great way to interpret, like I said, what is a very internal story? How, how do you do that without just simple, vo- uh, you know, voiceover, which is kind of, kind of mm-hmm. the standard option? Uh, in fact, I remember back when um, Walt Disney did their very famous adaptation of Alice in Wonderland, when they initially released it to theaters, it failed. It was not as successful as they wanted it to be. And when asked about it, Walt Disney said, oh, well, it's too much of an internal story. And he said it's also, uh, he also, I think, blamed Alice's uh, lack of like proactive action taking. <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, it is, despite the fact that it's, it's adapted perpetually, it is kind of a hard thing to adapt, the internal monologue of, of, of this child, you know? Yeah, yeah. How do you 
how do you make her feel like a full-fledged character and not just this um, you know agentless observer of weird things especially as most uh, filmmakers consider uh, a voiceover to be a lazy way you know it's it, it's mm. telling not showing so that's that's yeah. that's tough today's episode is brought to you by ebay ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, so, so now remember where we were. She was sitting on the riverbanks with her sister. These opening credits happened real quick. And now, boom, Alice is now indoors. Uh, we see some quick establishing shots panning around the room at, you know, its decrepit nature, discarded <laughs> apple cores, peeling wallpaper, chip paint, uh, old mouse traps. Uh, and then we see these two very frightening old dolls sitting side by side. Uh, and one of the dolls has a lap full of rocks, uh, which now Alice is is picking up from the doll's lap and tossing into a half-drunk uh, teacup. So, so th- there we go. Even this nice, gentle opening of, of, of Riverbanks and Sisters Reading. No, it's just Alice by herself with two dolls <laughs> um, being alone. <laughs> just, just not really... Just get used to it, folks. We're, we're going to have a lot of Alice by herself using her imagination. <laughs> so uh, the only sound we, we're hearing right now is a, a loud ticking clock. And it's just Alice sitting by herself until until suddenly we hear a, a creaking off screen. So Alice looks up to see what, what, what that sound is. And there is a taxidermied white rabbit in sort of like a glass diorama type situation with like, you know, it's scientific name labeled and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What what you would find in a a museum or a collector's home. And this rabbit has come to life and is struggling against the nails, holding it in position inside this glass diorama. Yes, yes. This scene is just fabulous. This is the one where after I finished the film, I had to go back and rewatch this film immediately because uh, it's just so good uh, with the like the, 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 every detail <laughs> of this rabbit from the eyes to its you know protruding teeth uh to the yeah the way it, uh the way it deals with those little nails stuck through its uh, hand and also again I'll, I'll probably drive this home multiple times but this scene is not as creepy as, as it may sound <laughs> when we're just describing it there's a lot more whimsy and humor to it and when we refer to these taxidermied creatures, none of them are done very well. <laughs> they, they all have mm-hmm. that uncanny look of something that's been poorly taxidermied. So yeah, keep that in yeah. mind if you haven't seen this. <laughs> like really bugged out glass eyes. Yeah, too much, too, too, too much view. Like the teeth are too exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, I think, are also vi- visually falling apart. Like there's stuffing coming out of them and, and so forth. <laughs> so so the white rabbit is struggling 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 he finally gets free uh and he pulls up revealing two giant nails protruding from each palm uh so it reaches up with its uh a giant uh rabbit teeth bites off the nails and spits them to the floor <laughs> and then it pulls a drawer of clothing up from the ground inside of the diorama so already starting with that that like you know mythical oh it's larger on the inside kind of logic now uh <laughs> It then gets dressed from the clothing inside of the drawer, takes a large pair of scissors out of the drawer, and then 
breaks the surrounding glass of the diorama to make an escape. And this scene too is just the 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 stop motion work is tremendous, and the and the 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 fantasy of the whole thing is also splendid. Like the, all the details of like pulling on the gloves, I love because you can you clearly see it has it's it's a taxidermied rabbit, so it has rabbit's appendages. But as the glove comes on and the glove is is stretched fully on, it's able to then flex all the little fingers <laughs> in the gloved hand, and yeah, just every detail in this is so beautifully rendered. Uh, now, now, one uh, calamity that has occurred, uh, we'll repeat throughout the uh, throughout the film, is that in, in his attempts to escape, uh, the this white rabbit has torn a little, uh, 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 I guess, just a little fissure. I, I don't know what to call it. He's got a little hole now torn in his chest, which is leaking mm-hmm. um, sawdust. This this will repeat many many times. <laughs> There are a few repeating gags. Uh, that's one of them for sure. Another one, which I, I won't draw too much attention to, but is is funny. Every time Alice tries to open a drawer, the knob falls yeah. off. Yep. <laughs> it's pointless. Doesn't really advance the story. It just contributes to uh, our, our character Alice falling on the ground often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so we get our first... Um, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be late from the White Rabbit, but it's voiced by Alice. And then once again, we are treated to another up-close mouth shot of her explaining the White Rabbit said. <laughs> uh, the, the, the rabbit then runs off, and now the room has magically expanded, and we are now outdoors in a giant craggy dirt field with just like a little uh, desk drawer sitting right in the middle. She goes up to it, tries to take off the uh, drawer. Of course, the knob falls off. She falls down. <laughs> She pries it open and then crawls through the drawer, once again showing that we are in a mythical, magical world at this point. Uh, If you're familiar with the Alice in Wonderland story, you can more or less tell where we're headed at this point. We're headed towards the Alice falling down the rabbit hole. This whole scene kind of just mirrors that. We next see the white rabbit eating a bowl full of sawdust, uh, presumably replenishing what has leaked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has not yet sewn closed the the, uh, the the chest wound. So the sawdust just keeps pouring out as he eats it. Again, not as creepy as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's in a hurry. He doesn't have time to just stop and, 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 and pay a lot of attention to this gaping hole in his chest. Better to just have a quick snack of sawdust and then keep moving. He also stores his pocket watch in this uh, hole in his chest. So yes. every time he takes it out, he has to lick the sawdust off the uh, the, yes. the, the front glass of his pocket watch. <laughs> yes. Uh, White Rabbit runs off. And then so Alice uh, passes by the sawdust. And goes like, oh, I, I'll try that. And she has a couple bites. She's like, no, <laughs> yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, her again, her childlike uh, curiosity <laughs> uh, kind of gets her into trouble at times. And, well, he yeah, seemed and to like it. Are, yeah, like the rabbit was eating. I'm going to try it. Or this looks like jam. Of course, I'm going to try it and see what it tastes like. <laughs> so uh, Alice then pulls a classic sideshow Bob move. She steps on an upturned rake it flings up and and hits her in the face and then she falls backwards into a cooking pot which then turns into a portal which she then falls through and we're now in uh absolutely a um a descending elevator scene which very closely mirrors the falling down a rabbit hole yeah this is the one where there's like she's going down and there are all these just shelves of of things right uh like it's a lot of it looks like like very old 
preserved foods, mm -hmm. but also maybe preserved specimens, and then also jars of like random, dangerous-looking crafting supplies. <laughs> and then sometimes there's a merger of the two. Like you see uh, more than once in this film, you see what look like. Uh, uh, like bread, like baguettes or uh, or and so forth that have like nails emerging from them or mm -hmm. tacks stuck in, stuck in them. And, and this is where we get something you mentioned before, which is one of my favorites, uh, I, I suppose, to, to give Joe credit, a rub the fur moment. Mm -hmm. Alice is descending in this elevator. Uh, she reaches out and she grabs just a jar of marmalade off a shelf as she passes, as <laughs> she does in the book as well. But unlike the book, she uh, she examines it, and it's a jar of marmalade with a saran wrap top. She takes yep. her finger, and all of this is – the sound design is wonderful. <laughs> she takes her finger, punctures the saran wrap, brings up mm -hmm. a big finger full of the marmalade, and there's a giant thumbtack on her finger. <laughs> and it's just like, wow. Like the – the feelings that you get from seeing this and, and hearing this is just out of this world. So, so yeah, she doesn't yeah. want this. Thankfully, she does not eat the thumbtack. What are the few things she doesn't eat? And then she <laughs> uh, puts it back on the shelf and we can continue with our story. And this, of course, leads to the... Um, the big hall of doors scene where, uh, you know, there's a, a key on a table and, you know, she, she's first figuring out that she can be too big and too small. They eat me, drink me, all that stuff. Now, uh, like we mentioned, uh, uh, when she does change into a, a small character, you know, like is often shown in the book, uh, she turns into a creepy old doll with, with stop motion stuff. But instead of a little, you know, cherry cordial or whatever it is that that is the drink that she drinks, it's a bottle of ink. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she just pops that cork, and drinks it down. Like well, I guess she first she tests it. She kind of yeah, dips her finger, finger in, yeah. licks it. Oh, this is fine, and then she drinks it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, the drinking the bottle of ink makes her shrink. Then she's gonna wants to go through this beautiful door to get to the big beautiful garden, like from the book. But uh, of course, in this adaptation, there is no beautiful garden. It's like a, a very small, like almost like dollhouse exterior kind of like it's it's like a tiny little stage play diorama. That's what it looks mm -hmm. like. But she sees the white rabbits in there. She wants to go there too. She doesn't have the key. Darn it! Now I need to get big. And then uh, this is one of the first appearances of these very creepy looking cakes, the, the traditional eat me cake. And I can't tell what it is. It looks kind of like mince meat, maybe caviar. What did you think it was, Robert? Yeah, I got kind of a it, it's weird because on one it doesn't look inedible mm -hmm. to me. Uh, it looks like maybe there's some sort of, yeah, mincemeat or, um, or some sort of very brown berry type of thing, you know, going on, maybe ground dates. But then there's something on top yeah. that I guess is a, like a, a sliver of a nut or something. Maybe, maybe some sort of seed, kind of look, perhaps. Yeah, some sort of seed, but it also kind of looks like a tooth. Yes. <laughs> And it makes it look very strange, yeah. But she eats it, and of course she grows big. Now she can reach the key, but now she's too big to go through the door, etc., etc. Y'all know this story. But she starts to cry, and now she has cried an entire ocean. Uh, she 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 shrinks down a bit again, and now here's 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 a wonderful part. I absolutely love this. Uh, if you know the book, next up we get a mouse swim by in this giant ocean of tears. Now this this mouse has decided. 
ah, it's time to rest, you know, time to make some lunch. Mm-hmm. So it goes up to this island that it sees, which uh, is Alice's head bobbing in the water. Not even like discreetly bobbing. It's just a, a child's head. But no, no, no. The mouse crawls up on top, hammers stakes oh. into her head, and then yeah. put, sets up a, a hole. I mean, this is a... a, 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 a step-by-step process of this mouse setting up a campfire uh setting up a meal opening cans with a tiny little can opener yes dropping its little like cooking pot into the water and bringing it up with a rope and alice is just kind of watching kind of befuddled kind of curious this whole time and then and then the the mouse reaches down with a little scythe and it cuts some hair off from Alice's head and it's about to prepare a fire to cook its food on top of Alice's head and this is when Alice goes now that's too far yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and she dunks him. Yeah, <laughs> everything else was fine. Hammering stakes into my head, and all, all that's fine. But no, 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 you're not starting a fire with my hair, please. <laughs> now, was this based on? Was this particular part from the book? It is, except it it did not happen on top of her head. Uh, basically, okay. she was uh, in in the ocean of tears. She was lost, swimming, swimming, and uh, a creature swims by, and she thinks, "Oh, it's quite large. It must be like a dog or a giant bear or something." And then she realizes it's a mouse, and she's like, oh, I must be very small. Then the mouse okay. uh, guides her, and this leads to the caucus race scene in the book, where it's basically okay. the mouse explains what it's like to be a mouse, why it's trouble, et cetera, et cetera. But so, so he skips okay. some of that. But yeah, yeah, the, the mouse making an island and cooking on her head is not from, from the book. <laughs> yeah, the stakes being to her scalp, well, that was a real, that was one of the many moments in the film where I was yelping a little bit. <laughs> yes. uh, even though she's. She's she takes it in stride. She's not in terror or anything. But I was like, oh. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, the the rabbit is now seen in this ocean uh, after she has scared off the mouse. He's in a little rowboat. Uh, he's got some cakes with him, etc. Uh, if you've never read the story before, the whole book is her chasing this white rabbit. It is this MacGuffin mm-hmm. that she has chosen in her childlike mind that this is the goal. I need to follow this white rabbit wherever it goes. I'm sure you all know that already. Um, but uh, when she sees the rabbit, the rabbit accidentally just like rows its boat directly into her and he drops a plate of these cakes. Again, these weird, dark brown, sticky seed toothcakes um she eats one she shrinks way down and then you know it's it's it it just it just continues from there suddenly we are we are in a new scene she's come up on the shore uh and she finally gets out that door and gets to where she's going now uh the white rabbit just like in the book sees her and goes hey marianne because because the white rabbit has confused her for the servants now that she has shrunk down to his his height Mm -hmm. Uh, now, uh, in the book, he, he goes, uh, please go get me my fan and gloves. But no, no, this is a much scarier <laughs> adaptation. <laughs> go fetch me a new pair of scissors because he lost his during uh, mm-hmm. the the uh, ocean of, of tears scene. So she does. And oh, no, this this house, uh, it's, it's a bit like a um, house of blocks that, that on, on yeah. the exterior. Very beautiful. Everything will be made of just things found around the house throughout this whole story. But um inside the house are just weird skeleton monstrosities um like i guess these aren't really in the house they're mostly uh around the exterior but there are fish heads with big goggly taxidermy eyes and little feet from another creature there's like a taxidermied alligator with giant rodent skulls instead of alligator skulls these are all the um 
uh, if we're again, if we're looking to the books, these are the other servants that work for the White Rabbit. There's a Bill, a handyman. There's a, a few others. There's some guinea pigs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, this is a fabulous, fabulous sequence where we basically get a siege scene <laughs> yes. where Alice is inside the the toy house and the White Rabbit and the various reanimated minions of the White Rabbit are trying to get inside. And there's a lot of wonderful, strange stuff that happens. Like at one point, the White Rabbit's climbing up a ladder with a with a saw and acts yes. like he's going to, I guess I'll saw her arm off. And she's like, no, get away. And she swats him down and he falls through a plate of glass. <laughs> It's just wonderful. Of course, Alice is changing in size perpetually throughout this scene as she is wont to do. So, th- so the siege continues and uh, Rabbit officially sends up Bill. Uh, um, in the books, he is a lizard. In, in our adaptation, he is an alligator with a rodent skull. And <laughs> to climb up the roof and go down the chimney, uh, Alice shoes him away. He falls and gets hurt. And then this is just an odd little you know tableau that we see here can you describe it rob (laughs) oh well yeah they so he gets the the gator creature bill here gets his torso ripped open a bit and of course sawdust comes out spills out and so the all the animals stop the the besiegement for a minute they stop the siege and they start like trying to restuff him to revive him at one point they have a um uh, they have like a funnel in his mouth and they're pouring sawdust in it. You know, got to gotta try and uh, and resuscitate him here. But it's a prolonged sequence. It also feels like semi-religious because maybe it's sort mm-hmm. of the way that, that Bill is laid across uh, the white <laughs> rabbit's knee, I think, kind of like uh, Mary holding the um, the body of Christ after the crucifixion. Yeah, no, I, I I thought the same things. And yeah, it's it's very sweet and very strange the whole time. Mm-hmm. But but I love a couple of little animation choices. Like for example, when Bill is stretched out, uh being being fed the new sawdust and having his stomach stitched up, we see Bill's skeleton eyes blink several times, yeah. communicating to us, the viewer, oh Bill's fine. This isn't like a grotesque <laughs> stitching up of a dead creature. No, no, no. This is live. Bill is fine, and he's just being helped by the white rabbits. Yeah, so many little little touches like that that add that little element of whimsy that keeps the sequence from straying too far into like the weird and potentially dark, keeping it within that realm of wonder. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by eBay eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So uh, Alice, uh, at this current moment, is now in her shrunken doll state. She has escaped the White Rabbit's house, and now she is running away from this gang of skeleton monsters. Uh, in this pursuit, she falls into a vat of, I'm going to call it milk, but it's a milk-like substance, whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And immediately, uh, she regrows to her full human height. But oddly and amazingly, she has an incredibly creepy doll mask over her human face, which is just shocking to see. <laughs> yeah. You see her eyes, her her human eyes staring out of it. So it's this, it's like a costume doll death mask. 
and then we get we we get this scene where it what it what it falls down into the or they what they they kind of entomb it within a closet, right? Yeah, because when she grows up into this doll creature, whatever it is that she turned into inexplicably, mm-hmm. she's fully paralyzed. So the skeleton gang has the opportunity to kind of. Um, Oh, uh, Gulliver's travel style, knock over the giant, tie her up and drag her and they lock her in a closet. Why most Mm -hmm. of this is happening, I don't know, but it makes sense. You see a monster, (laughs) you you lock it up in a closet. But then she emerges, she breaks out of this thing. And uh, and it's another great sequence because, of course, she's dressed inside the sarcophagus. She's dressed like the the doll on the outside of the sarcophagus. So it's uh, it's really weird. It's so strange. Just, yeah, it's like... She was a cocoon, and her exterior was her, but now she's inside of her, crawling out of her. It's mm-hmm. beautifully done, very strange. What one, one of the otter shots in this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now that she's locked in the closet, she looks around, trying to figure out what she can do to, to perhaps get out, or just, hey, where am I? And she sees a lot of strange things. Uh, there, there are a bunch of uh, look like chicken's eggs, but when they hatch, these little eggs are, are, are bringing forth exclusively skulls. And they they, yeah. they they crawl around and chomp around a bit. It's beautiful. Uh, we see some of that uh, nail bread, and we even see some stop-motion <laughs> bread that she picks up, uh, it, like growing nails, which is beautiful. Uh, she'll open a, a can uh, with a can opener, and it'll be full of cockroaches. Oh, yeah, just full of giant cockroaches. <laughs> That was that was a bit much. Then there'll be a jar with a raw meat tongue just kind of flopping about. Yeah, the, the the raw meat animation is some of the more grotesque in this thing. And yet, and yet, it's it's not like attacking or threatening. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of doing its own, going about its own business. So it's not as weird as the the. I think there's a a crawling stake scene in poltergeist if memory serves mm, right yeah it's 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 whimsical still and ultimately yeah. she finds a sardine can uh opens it up with the sardine can opener and there's a key inside good you know <laughs> so this is what she's been rooting around for apparently she knew there was a key here somewhere <laughs> she's found it and i love how she quite unnecessarily once she removes the key from the sardine can it's dripping with oil or water probably i'm i'm assuming sardine oil is dripping yeah. from that key <laughs> Before she sticks it in the door to try it out, though, she licks it and she kind of makes a face like, oh, that tasted a little gross. And I was like, nobody told you to do that, Alice. Why did you lick the key? Very believable child moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So Alice uh, then then exits the closet and just continues to search for this white rabbit. She's going from room to room trying to find things. She enters a room with these giant holes just bored through the wooden floorboards, just peppering all over the floor as if a rodent, you know, a giant rodent mm-hmm. has dug them out or like, or like giant cartoonish termites. Yeah. But then we see socks burrowing and undulating through the holes as if they're like a sea serpent or a worm. And it's it's wild. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little afraid that we were going to see underneath those socks and it was going to be some sort of hideous worm creature. But it's ultimately revealed, I guess, that they're full of air or nothing at all because there's a scene where she inflates a sock and then it crawls off like a worm. It's true. I I appreciate that... 
a, a sock moving like a worm is as gross as it gets. There, there is there yeah. is no extra skeleton inside or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this is actually uh, one of my favorite moments because because I, I would say this whole movie you're basically just like waiting for like oh how are they going to do this scene like 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 mm-hmm. what 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 elements from just sitting around an old dilapidated house are you going to cobble together to create this scene? And th- this one to me I think is one of the more successful and one of the creepier. Uh, so, uh, one of these socks, a pair of dentures and a couple of taxidermy eyes kind of cobble themselves together and they become the famous caterpillar from the Alice in Wonderland. And it sits on a a darning block. I don't know if most people knows what these are, but basically if you're trying to fix a sock, you put like the sock over like these like wooden kind of like shape that way it's stretched out and you can like sew it shut to, to repair a sock. So yeah, uh, it's it's kind of shaped like a mushroom. So the darning block kind of sits up like a mushroom, and then the sock sits on top of it to be like, ah, you know, hello, Alice. Let's have our dialogue. <laughs> I'm glad you explained this because I, I had no idea what this object was other than, oh, it looks like a wooden mushroom. And then, of course, it serves as the mushroom for this tableau for the caterpillar. Uh, but I had no idea that that's, that this object had a practical real-world application. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if, if the listeners don't know what I'm talking about, picture kind of like a doorknob, but made yeah. of wood and looking like a mushroom. But, yeah, it's like a, like a darning block for, for sewing uh, socks. Huh. So, as we know in the story, next up, the caterpillar tells her that one side will make her grow larger, one side will make her grow smaller. Now, of, of in the books and other adaptations, this is just a mushroom, so you can just pull a, pull pull a little bit off. But no, 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 this is a piece of wood. <laughs> so yeah. Alice gets out her her scissors and big, loud chomp chomp on each side cuts off these little, I, I guess, uh, an exaggerated splinter, a, a hunk of wood, something around the size of like a pencil, maybe a smaller than that, like a golf pencil, yeah, worth yeah. Of, of like a, a wooden splinter. <laughs> So then the, the caterpillar goes to sleep by sewing its eyes shut with a needle and thread. And then mm-hmm. we we continue. Alice uh, takes a couple of steps outside and she wants to test these uh, mushroom bits, a.k.a. giant splinters of wood. So she takes a little bite of one. And this, I, I think, is one of the more beautiful adaptations of her growing and shrinking. What it does is instead of the character Alice getting large and small, which we've seen many times at this point, there are a bunch of trees sitting in like little Christmas tree stands outside. And when yeah. she takes a bite of one, we see them all shoot to the sky or shrink all the way down to saplings. And this is her doing a little trial and error to see which piece of mushroom makes her big and which, pe- which piece makes her small. And so there, now, now she has a solution to this. <laughs> our, our next scene is uh, with the Duchess. Uh, Alice is walking and she sees a taxidermied fish and it's uh, there to deliver a uh, letter, and uh, we find out it's an invitation to a croquet game. So she goes to the, du- uh, the the fish goes to the duchess's door and delivers it to a taxidermied frog. This to me is the one scary moment in this movie when that door slams open and we get our first like jump scare look at the taxidermied frog. Don't know what it is, but it's just shocking, and I I, I think they intended it that way. Yeah, this is also this whole sequence also has a lot of. Um of baby crying in it like that's the that's the soundscape that we have going on here which of course fits the the scene it's not like it was just put in here to make us feel uneasy but it did add to the uneasiness of the scene i think like you can't have that much uh baby crying in your film and it not unnerve the the viewer a bit i mean we're just hardwired to feel on edge when you're presented with that 
Now, especially, and uh, I will say that this is a moment when uh, the book deviates uh, from from what has been adapted here. Uh, in in the book version, as I'm sure most of you know, uh, the Duchess is inside and she's dealing to this small baby, but the baby is getting like pepper in its face from the uh, cook making some soup in the background. So the baby mm-hmm. is sneezing and crying and very upset. And then the cook just keeps throwing cutlery and plates and dishes and pots and pans at Alice just to be like, get out of here, go away. Yeah. So so we hear the din going on inside, all the shaking and plates and cutlery being thrown around. But uh, when Alice opens the door to go inside, it's just the white rabbit and a baby. So uh, at least for me, this is kind of shocking because it's like, no, 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 this is not how this story goes. Oh, I need to be on my toes. This isn't really going to follow what I expect to happen. Uh, now, So it's been the rabbit throwing the, the, the plates and cups and all those things, which... Uh, uh, you know, it's still scary. She runs away. She has the baby, and then the baby turns into a pig, just like from the book. That she, the pig runs away. There we are. <laughs> yeah, and, and thankfully, the ba- this the sound of a crying baby becomes predominantly the sound of a squealing pig, which is easier to take. Yes. <laughs> And cuter, I would say, yeah. Um, then uh, we move on to uh, probably the most famous scene from uh, the uh, story of Alice in Wonderland, the Mad Hatter scene at the uh, Mad Tea Party. Uh, uh, here's how they adapted it. Basically, there's a very creepy wooden marionette of the Mad Hatter, which is one of the mm-hmm. more human elements we've seen in this story so far. And uh, the March Hare is a very filthy wind-up stuffed toy of a rabbit. So no, yeah. no, no, no taxidermy for this rabbit. It is, it is a stuffed toy, and of course, very dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the scene is, of course, very mad, and all the things you'd expect happen in it. Um, wow! Oh, wow! So many times do they just kind of like go in this loop starting with uh, the march hare putting butter in a watch and then he uh, attaches the watch to the mad hatter the mad hatter drinks tea we see out the back that the that the, the uh, tea is just pouring down his empty hole and out the back of this of this marionette puppet and then uh they they, they need to clean cups they move down repeat 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 and it just goes and goes yeah this sequence goes on for a while this was for the most part, even though this film has again kind of a subdued pacing to it, it's not going to have it's it has you know art film pacing as opposed to uh, modern child cinema pacing. But but I for the most part I feel like there's not a dull moment in in the whole piece. There's always something interesting to look at. This one this one scene maybe goes on a little too long mm-hmm. for my taste. I could have maybe done with just like six uh, pocket watches being buttered and not like eight pocket watches buttered but it's still it's still excellent i i don't i don't want to trash on it yeah and i think it does a good job of kind of um you know in a very simple subdued way talking about you know how uh you know the the repetition of actions and 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 basically having this insanity be very practical in, in this storytelling but uh yeah, no, it, it works, but you're right. It, it is definitely repetitive on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we see a quick shot of the Dormouse, but in this, uh, he is not a Dormouse. He is a fox stole, or at least what I presume is a fox. Some sort yeah. of like, you know, uh, uh, the, the kind of wrap that a, a fancy person would wear made of fur. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not a drunk little sleepy mouse. It's cute. <laughs> uh, like like we see in the Disney animated version, it is a, a pelt of some kind that crawls around on the table and licks out the, the teeth cups yeah 
um uh moving on next of course uh, alice leaves this party it's it's too mad for her she is she's not a fan of this uh the white rabbit passes by and she chases after it and this brings us to the croquet scene another very famous scene now i, I loved this because it's the most practical adaptation visually all of the cards from this scene are cards they are cut out they are they are puppeted with like little just like you know little brads they're all two-dimensional very flat it's it's it's, it's a great uh, adaptation with this and and of course since um uh, uh the the queen of hearts big order that she says when she's upset off with their heads they, they can actually come off because these are yeah. paper cards and um in the book we never actually see anyone beheaded it's like it's like understood that she always says go behead these people but they never actually kill anyone she just forgets about it and moves on with her life we see the executioner, which is the white rabbit, pull out these giant scissors that he's been hauling around this whole movie. That's that's his uh, execution device. He cuts off the heads of these cards, and they are they are they are lifeless after the heads are gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He snips a number of paper heads off. Yeah, and sometimes not paper heads. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, he he jumps in there and executes. <laughs> um, so we move on to, of course, the famous actual croquet game. Uh, the the uh, the flamingos are started off as cards, of course, and the uh, hedgehogs uh, that are being hit around as balls are these little pin cushions. It's like, oh, great, great choice. But then things are things are starting to turn wild. Things are starting to get a little weird uh, as they do towards the end of a story. The flamingos have suddenly turned into real live chickens jumping around and, and are causing mayhem in what has been a, a, a very, no, no, only Alice is alive here reality. Suddenly we have right. live chickens and then the, the pin cushions turn into real hedgehogs. Now they're crawling around and it's, 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 it's a little um, surprising, a little baffling, but, but, but you go along with it. And then I love this part because it's just some very subtle commentary, but very good. Uh, the white rabbit uh, then walks up to Alice and gives her a script and is like, quick, now it's time for the trial. Let's go. <laughs> and so <laughs> Alice is supposed to learn her parts uh, uh, for her participation in this trial. <laughs> now, there's a seek. Uh, I may be skipping ahead, but there's also a scene here where we see the Mad Hatter and the March Hare again playing cards, right? right? And their their execution is ordered. White Rabbit jumps in, cuts their heads off, but then their bodies are still alive, <laughs> and they reach around, and they find, of course, the wrong head, and they put the wrong head on top of their body. So now we have the, uh, the March Hare's body with the Mad Hatter's head, and vice versa. And then they just continue playing cards, uh, yeah. much like the logic of uh, Bill being sewn up while blinking. It's, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, everybody's fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the, the, the trial happens, uh, who stole the queen's tarts? Uh, Alice is, is stubborn and doesn't want to go along with the script. She's trying to use logic on them and spell out mm-hmm. why nobody's guilty. The, the tarts are right there. <laughs> and of yeah. course, these are the very ugly, uh, seed tooth brown gunky tarts that we've seen throughout this story. And, uh, uh, she wakes up just, just like it goes. Alice wakes up. But she's still in her dingy, dirty, old house. That part wasn't a dream. And um, some of the artifacts from her dream still remain here in this, what we presume is a real 
real life for her. Um, the the rabbit terrarium where the taxidermied white rabbit was is still broken, and the white rabbit is still gone. The nails that he bit off with his rabbit teeth are still sitting there. Uh, the drawer still exists, and there's a pair of scissors in this drawer inside this terrarium, the rabbit scissors. So Alice picks up the scissors, and as a as a final line, we have Alice saying, he's late as usual. I think I'll cut his head off, thought Alice to herself. <laughs> And that's pretty much it. That's like roll credits. Yeah, and point. it really does set up that, no, nah, this is just all in her mind. She is she is every one of these creatures. And in fact, there, there's a visual moment that kind of accompanies that that's very beautiful. When she's waking up from her dream, there's this moment where she's kind of thrashing her head back and forth. And her head ter- transforms into each of the creatures briefly. Mm. You know, Re- Queen of Hearts for a moment, Mad Hatter for a moment, White Rabbit for a moment, right before she wakes up. Just, just a quick visual cue. And then coupled with this line of, I think I'll cut his head off, something the, 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 you know, the, the Queen of Hearts would say, we go, oh, okay, this is just a very imaginative, imaginative girl. This is the world she's creating. Are we still in that world? Because look, here's still a drawer inside a, you know, a terrarium where a drawer would not fit. And again, this is not as dark as it may seem. <laughs> it's really it's it's not played for darkness. The music that plays at the very end is 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 actually more light and whimsical. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, uh, one of the few again t- a few touches of um, emotional manipulation by the music. But but even then, it doesn't feel like it's really augmenting the existing trajectory of the scene. It's it's uh, there's nothing creepy about Alice saying, "Well, I'm going to go cut that rabbit's head off now," or what or whatever. You know, it's. Uh, it's presented with this kind of, you know, childlike, imaginative wonder. I, I think now that we have wrapped up this story, uh, a really good elevator pitch, since we've said it so many times, is not as creepy as it seems. <laughs> yeah. But not uncreepy. Like, if you like, if the idea of creepy stop uh, motion animation appeals to you, you will love this film. There is a mm-hmm. lot to love in it. But if if you're afraid of, of creepy stop motion animation going too far... Well, this film will probably not be going too far for you unless you have a very low threshold. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. It's uh, and I I just find it wonderful. I I, I think it's very original, very easy to watch too. Like, like like it goes down easy for something that can be really obtuse. Something with no dialogue, deliberate pacing, <laughs> caustic sound design, and um, mm-hmm. you, you know all all the choices. Honestly. It, it, it's actually very watchable, very simple. It's it's still just a, a great film. And I think you're right when you said, perhaps because it has the blueprint of the original book to work from, we can kind of just like follow along much easier. You know, it's 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 an easy narrative to follow. Yeah, it's. I think it's more watchable than than some sort of creepy stop motion works that I've seen. Like I think particularly there's some works, some work by Jiri Barta that I also quite like. And it, but and it's also sort of in the the realm of like strange decrepit garbage comes around uh, comes alive and starts crawling around all over the place, right? But is maybe a little uh, less accessible, and you've got to definitely be on board for that sort of thing. Uh, where this film is kind of meeting you halfway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I give this two thumbs up. All right. Well, on that note, uh, let, I guess we're going to go ahead and close this episode out. But we'd love to hear from everyone out there if you have thoughts on Alice, if you have thoughts on other films, uh, full length and short, by John Svankmeyer or any of the other stop motion artists that we mentioned in this episode. Uh, write in. We would love to hear from you. 
reminder that we're primarily a science podcast here at Stuff to Blow Your Mind, but on Fridays we set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film here on Weird House Cinema. I blog about the movies that we cover here on samutamusic.com, and if you use Letterboxd, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com, uh, we have a profile there. It's Weird House. We have all the movies we've covered uh, listed there, as well as sometimes there's a peek at what movies are to come in case you want to watch ahead. And uh, if anyone out there is uh, missing Joe while he's on his paternity leave, I have a little treat for you. Uh, an episode that he and I recorded back before he went on his leave airs today, literally today, the oh. same uh, the same day this uh, airs of my podcast, Rusty Needles Record Club. Find it wherever you find podcasts. And um, if people have never uh, heard my show before, basically it's a book club, but for music. Each episode is a different album. Me and my guests discuss that album. Uh, uh, Joe's been on a couple of times. Uh, We're we're, we're hoping to get Rob on uh, soon in the future. And uh, this one was Joe's pick, and he picked the self-titled Black Sabbath album, their debut. Oh, So if you'd like to hear me and Joe discuss uh, Black Sabbath's debut album, yeah, just go to wherever you get your podcasts, type in Rusty Needles Record Club, you'll see a a cartoon dog as the logo, you'll know that's me, and uh, yeah, listen to me and Joe talk some Black Sabbath. All right, that that is seasonally appropriate. Yes. (laughs) So thanks for hosting, Seth, but also, of course, thanks to Seth Nichols Johnson for producing the show. And if anyone out there wants to get in touch with us, well, just email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Play.